Well, let me welcome everybody on behalf of Pastor David and Pastor Sharon. Thank you so much for being here this morning. It is an absolute privilege to stand before you and uh, bring you something that God has placed on my heart. And I'm praying that it will be a blessing for you this morning as well. So uh, I want to read with you a scripture this morning. And um, you've been listening to expectations. And um, I'm going to get that into a bit. But let's, let's, um, if you've got your Bibles with you, um, open to Genesis chapter 32, verse 24 to 30. That's where we're reading from. If you have your phones, this is a great opportunity to open your phones and for once do something apart from Facebook and... No. <laughs> Not that you do, no, none of you guys do that. I'm just talking to the people online, all right? Now, just welcome, and let's read Genesis 32, 24 to 30 with us. And it says, then Jacob was left alone. This is, um, this is after Jacob has been on the journey, and he's now returning home, and he's being confronted by his brother Esau, and um, he sent his family and broken up his team into parties. And then he says, then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have contended with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life, my soul has been spared, saved. Let us pray. Daddy God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray and ask for hearts to... um, to to take a hold of your word. We pray for listening ears. We thank you, Lord, for clarity of mind. We pray for clarity of voice, Lord, that I speak. And, Lord, words will take root into hearts, Father God. And we will walk away with at least one thing today that we can apply into our lives, Father God. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So somebody asked me the other day, um, um, what do you call a kiwi uh, that has one leg shorter than the other? Not even, bro. So I was like, I thought it was quite funny. Like, you know. Um, but that's one of those lame dead jokes that I was going to start off with. So that's done and out of the way. And I can see it was so. Um, right. So you've been listening to um, Adam a couple of weeks ago and Pastor David last week. And we have um, looked at expectations. Adam started off talking a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about raise your expectations. And he, and he asked us these three questions. What are you believing for? Then he asked for what are you asking for and what are you preparing for? So two weeks ago, we were looking at raising expectations. And Pastor David last week looked at shaping your expectations. How do you see Father? How do you see yourself? And how do you see life's circumstances? And importantly, how do you see grace? And this morning, I want to talk to you guys about get there. Maintaining expectations. So we looked at raising expectations, shaping expectations. I am now hoping to give us some clues that we can maintain expectations and stay in um, the danger zone. Yeah? So that we can continue to go where God has wanted to go. So we can continue to hold on to what God has given us in our hearts. 
As um, we've looked at the life of Jacob, and Pastor David spent quite a bit of time last week talking about and telling us about the journey that Jacob was on. And I want to take us a little bit further back and start off with his uh, forefather. I want to talk about his grandfather, Abraham. Abraham, the father of faith, the father of your faith, the father of our faith, as we know him. Abraham believed God, and God attributed to him as righteousness, and thus began the journey that we are now on together. The guy who started it all, the guy with whom it all began. He was faithful, he was faith-filled, he spoke with God. You know, um, as we read the story and the account of Abraham's life in the book of Genesis, from chapter 15 onwards, and a little bit earlier than that as well, you know, there's an, there's an account where God visits Jacob, uh, Abraham in his tent. And, you know, this is the story where Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed. And then God says, I should tell my servant Abraham what I'm about to do. And, I, and I'm just like, God considers telling Abraham what he's about to do. And then we hear this, we, we read about this encounter where Abraham then pleads on behalf of the cities. You know, and he's like, Lord, if there is like, you know, 50 righteous people, if there is you know, 40 righteous people, if there is 30 righteous people. And God's like, yeah, yeah, you know, if you find them, I will, you know. And then if there is 10 righteous people, for the sake of the 10, would you? And he's like, oh, yeah, God will, I, I, I will spare the cities. And I was like, you don't have those kind of conversations if you don't have relationship. So I, I guess the story is told to us. Because we don't hear, we don't read about Abraham got up in the morning and spent two hours in prayer with God. We don't read that. But based on the encounter that we see Abraham have with God, we know that he has intimacy with God. He has relationship with God. And um, he is someone who speaks from a place of relationship. You know, when um, my daughters and I, like my kids and I, we, we kind of have a good relationship. And that comes from spending time together. That comes from listening to each other, having, having given each other listening ears so that we can hear each other's conversations and each, hear each other's hearts. And the time that's spent together gives us what the Maoris in New Zealand called mana. And mana is uh, the authority to speak into somebody else's life. You know, so when you speak, people listen. And, uh, and Abraham, he gets given a word now, we, we read about him, you know, that one day God asked him to bring these five different types of animals for sacrifice, and he chops them up and he lays them down, and he's waiting, and the birds of prey come, and they're about to, and they're um, taking the carcasses, and he's clearing them away, and he's chasing them away, and it's a long day. It's been a long day. I mean, imagine, anybody butchered a cow lately? Or a chicken? Or a duck? I mean, in the, back, back in the day, it used to, I mean, coming from Fiji, we used to do, and it's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of work. And I imagine having doing, doing that five times over and then waiting for the whole day. And then it says, and he is persevering and he is leaning to hear what God is going to say to him. And he is pushing through. And then it says, towards the end of the day, it gets dark and Adam fall, um, Abraham falls asleep. You know, and then God gives him a vision and speaks to him in the vision and promises him and gives him the promise that your descendants will be more than the stars you know, and they'll be numerous and uncountable, and they will inherit the, the land that I've given to you, and, you know, from this river to that river. And Abraham, at this point, has no children. But then God has just given him something to expect. God has just impregnated him with a promise. 
And Abraham grabs a hold of it. And you know, it is several years later when um, Isaac is born. But Abraham, and then God, in the same time, he promises, God promises them, I will give your descendants this land. They will come into this place. They will be enslaved for 400 years. And then after 400 years, I will free them. They will go out of the land rich, and they will inherit the land that I'm going to give them. You, however, you will die, and you will be satisfied with life. And then, this is like when he is in his 90s. God gives him this promise. Now, Abraham lived to be 175 years old. Say 175. Now, who wants to live that long? Come on. Come on. Yeah? All right. Cool. Imagine seeing the changes. Imagine seeing the things that you get to see. And Abraham sees a lot of things in his life. And at the ripe, um, ripe old age of 179, Scripture says that he dies satisfied. It, it's written in Scripture, and it says he dies satisfied. And I just absolutely love that because he is able to maintain the expectation that God's given him. He is able to hold on to it, but not only is he able to hold on to it, he passes it on to his son, Isaac. See, Isaac then grabs a hold of the expectation. The word, the promise that God has given it. That one day, my descendants will inherit this land. And it is amazing that for over 80 years, that Abraham kept that expectation. He maintained it. He didn't see it come to pass, but he held on to it. And he not just held on to it in his heart. He spoke of it with confidence so that his son would grow up with the same expectation. He was not only just keeping it, he was spreading the expectation. It was becoming contagious. You see, Abraham knew the God he served because he leaned. He read of his exploits. He used his principles. We, we use the principles that, um, that Abraham learned. Um, you know, the principle of tithing. I've heard a lot of people talk about tithing. And I learned early in my walk with the Lord, you know, and that... And I've seen the fruitfulness of tithing. And it was something that uh, was not instituted by Moses in the law. I mean, it talks about that, you know, even um, the Levites tithed when they were still in the loins of Abraham. See, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek hundreds of years before the law was given. So tithing is not an Old Testament law. It is an Old Testament principle that if you want to see God glorified in your life, you know, put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. You know, give him first place in your heart. Because, I mean, one of the things that we hold on very tightly is money. And tithing helps us to hold money loosely and hold people and God tightly. Amen? So we, 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 we take these principles of this guy and we apply them into our lives. You know, it is impossible to have such an unwavering faith in God. I mean, he's standing there and he's 90-something years old. He's got no kids and God's told him, your children will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. You know, and he's like, his wife's like, Scripture says, she, she herself thinks that she's a dried up old weed. You know, that's what her expectation was of herself. But God says like, out of this woman, you'll have children. And so Abraham grabs a hold of him and gets a hold of this expectation in his heart and he, 
and he nurtures it and he maintains it because he leans to who God is. He leans to who God is and he grows in it and he walks with him all the days of his life. You know, towards the end of, um, towards the turn of the millennium, um, the 99-year leases in Fiji were expiring. The 99-year land leases in Fiji were expiring. So um, hundreds of sugarcane farmers suddenly found that the landlords, um, that their landlords did not want to renew um, their leases. Now these are generational sugarcane farmers. They, had, they didn't know anything else but sugarcane farming. The, landlord, the landowners had decided that they would farm the land and produce sugarcane themselves because they had seen the prosperity of the farmers. They had seen how their children had grown up and how the children were doing well and they had the material things of the world and they said, like, we can take this land and we can do the farming ourselves and therefore we will not renew um, the leases. See, almost overnight, generational sugarcane farmers had to relocate. And within a few years, the farms were overcome by jungle. You see, everyone saw the success of the farmer and his children and desired the success. What they didn't see was the early morning starts on the farm, the toiling in the heat of the day, in the long back-breaking days of fertilizing and then harvesting. They did not see the closets. They did not see the work that was involved to get there. See, Abram was given the assurance and for more than 75 years, he maintained the expectations and he passed it on to his son to pass on to his son, to pass on to his son. And he died satisfied, expectant, still pregnant with the expectation. See, there is no success without leaning. Lean on the God that you serve. Depend on the God that you serve. And that is how we maintain the expectation that we have. So that was my first point. Lean on the God that you have. Are you leaning or are we independent? Are we self-satisfied? Because that's easy to do in, in Australia. It's, it's so easy to do here because we don't have needs like they have in developing countries. We don't have needs or lack like they have in developing countries. We are, we are safe. We are affluent. Affluent? Yes? Not the other one, right? Because the other one's a different meaning altogether. Yes? Yeah. All right. And, um, and we, are, we, are, we don't need anything. We, are, we, we, you know, we open the tap and water comes out. We, turn, we put on a switch and light comes on. We, we get too hot, we turn the fan or the air conditioning on. You know, we jump in our car to go to places. Yeah, we, it's just all there. It's like stop in a moment and just ask yourself, what did you need God for this morning? What did you need him to do for you this morning so you could be here? And the reality of it is, you know, if you're being honest with ourselves, not really, didn't really need him for anything this morning. Everything's there. You know? But if we, if we grab a hold of the promise of God and lean on things, it's like, Lord, the car that I have is from you. The house that I live in is from you because you are my provision. And we train ourselves to lean on him we will develop a heart of gratitude and we will hold on to the expectation and the promises of God. My second point this morning, if you've grasped the first point, so the first point was to lean. If you've grasped the first point, my second point this morning is to lean in. See, as we learn to lean, we are ready for the next stage. We are ready to lean in to what God has for us. 
See, we heard last week of the account of Jacob's conversation with Joseph. You know, he's on his deathbed, and then Joseph comes, brings his two children, Ephraim and Manasseh, and, and Jacob gives them the blessing. See, a patriarch making a final declaration. Jacob, you know, the God that we serve is known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's his, that's his legacy. Now, Abraham had passed on the expectation to Isaac, and Isaac had maintained it and had passed it on to Jacob. And Jacob had kept it and maintained it and passed it on to Joseph. Now, this is four generations now. And, um, and he's a success story. And many times we only hear about a person once they have risen to the pinnacle of success, when they have made it. That's when we hear about him. See, but with, jo- with Joseph, everybody in, in, in Egypt would have known of Joseph. You know, because he was now the second in command, the prime minister of the greatest nation in the world at that time. But prior to that, prior to him coming to that place of that pinnacle, that place of glamour and fame, no one knew Joseph. Prior to that place, he was worse than a nobody because he was a slave. Not only was he a slave, he was a criminal. Worse than a criminal, he was a criminal slave who had done something to offend his master. He was like, slaves didn't have rights, but this slave had done something even worse, which was he was thrown into prison. So he was like at the bottom of the bottom. You know, if you had like gum at the bottom of your shoe, right, that's like a very bad place. Now, Joseph was at the bottom of the gum. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's where he was at. So, and then he suddenly rises from that place to being at the pinnacle of this, of this mighty nation. See, but when he was at the bottom of the gum, God was with him. God was with him. Because when we read about it, when, when Potiphar's wife entices him, you know, he, he pushes her away and says, how can I do this and sin against my God? See, not only was God with Joseph, Joseph was with God. You see, you and I serve a God who is faithful. You know, and when we feel like God's far away, guess who's moved? We have, right? See, but Joseph, in all his circumstances, stayed with God. You know, when he was in the pit being sold by his brothers, he was with God and God was with him. When he was in the caravan being taken from the chosen land to Egypt, God was with him, and he was with God. When he was in the house of Potiphar, okay, God was with him, and he was with God. And when he was in the prison, God was with him, and he was with God. And he was continually leaning in and holding on to the promise that was given to his grandfather. God, you said. God, you said. God, you have spoken. God, I will see it. God, you are faithful. God, you are reliable. God, you do not change, for you are not men. Amen? So, Joseph, early in his life, had learned to lean in and see what God can do. And what we are leaning on, and what he is leaning in, leads him in his life. See, Jacob would have taught his favorite son about God 
and about the promises of God. Joseph was about 56 years old when Jacob died. 56 years old. So when he comes and meets him in the Bedouin's tent, as Pastor David told us last week, Jacob, um, Joseph is 56 years old and, and Jacob is 110. And even though he'd lived in the land with people who worshipped foreign gods, see Joseph living in the palace with the Pharaoh, the, gods, the foreign gods are all there. Joseph held on to his God and the promises of his God. For another 54 years, he held on to the promises of God. He stayed true to his God and held on to the promises that was given to his forefathers. He maintained the expectations, and we now know this, for in Genesis 50, when he is 110 years old, Joseph said to his brothers, now this is really, if you can get a hold of this, to grab a hold of your expectations and to maintain it, I mean, this is classic. I mean, he says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will assuredly take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This is the expectation. This is the promise. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will assuredly take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. You shall carry my bones up from here. Even in death, he maintained the expectation. Now, what a wonderful way to remind the children of Israel to hold on to the promise is to have his coffin sitting there and with the expectation that they will go into the promised land. And that coffin sat there for 400 years as a constant reminder of the expectation. This is what we are expecting. This coffin is pregnant with the expectation, with the promise of God. What are you pregnant with? And who knows about your expectations? Whom are you making those declarations to? Is the next generation carrying the expectation that God has placed in your heart, the promise that God has given you? As for me and my house, as for me and my house, you know, I, I really struggle with um, this concept in the Western church that, you know, and, I, and I'm all with free will, and, you know, God being the perfect father as well. Um, you know, we need to, as parents, do everything we can that our children will walk with the Lord all the days of their lives. Yes? We need to do our, our uttermost, and even further than that, that our children will walk and be pregnant with the same promises that God's given me and God's given you, that you may pass it on to them so that, you know, at the end of that time that they've had with you and when you've done industrial and then when they've become 18 and left home or whatever, you know that they're pregnant with the same expectation. That they're pregnant with the same... And it, it really challenges me because, you know, it was easier for me because my children were young. And I've now got kids who are like kind of teenagers and coming into that particular age. And it is my heart's cry. And I, and I get before God and I say, Lord, let their testimony be that they followed the Lord all the days of their lives. Is there a greater testimony? And I've heard people say, oh my kids writing their testimony out there. I was like, that's a cop-out, mate. 
The greatest testimony is I followed the Lord all the days of my life. That none of my days were wasted in the wilderness, chasing things that I know I shouldn't be chasing. Are you pregnant with a dream that God's given you? Are you pregnant with a promise God's given you? And is that promise, that expectation being passed on to the next generation? Because we do not want to be like the people in the book of Judges, in the very first chapter where it says, and then rose a generation who knew nothing of the good things of God, of what the Lord had done. What are you pregnant with? How are you going to maintain? Do you speak of it often? Scripture tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, write it down on the doorposts of your house, on the forefronts of your foreheads. Speak to your children when they are sitting down, when they are rising up, when they are lying down, when they are walking by the way. How often do we speak to our kids and to ourselves of what the Lord has done, of what the Lord has put on your hearts? As we heard this morning from John, you know, um, we, can, we will all stand before the King of Kings. You know, and he's going to judge us, but he's also going to save us because you know, this is what he's done. He's given us his life. He's given us his everything. Let your children know that they are loved by someone who's died for them, who will die for them again if he needs to. But he doesn't because it's one thing for all. But you get my point. They never need to grow up feeling unloved because they are loved beyond measure. Carry and maintain the expectation. Pass it forward. See, Joseph had leaned in and listened and maintained the expectations. He cried out to his brothers and said, carry my bones. Carry my bones when you go. Not if you go. When you go. It will happen. I mean, even though he had died not receiving it, he had already received it by faith because he knew and he was expectant to the point of death. And he went in to the promised land in a bag of bones. In a bag of bones. Now, if you've learned, and if you've leaned, and if you've leaned in, once you have learned to lean, and once you have labored to lean in, then lean in closer. Lean in closer. See, Abraham, he had been given his promised child, the apple of his eye. And then the Lord said, Take your son, the son whom you love, to the mountain that I will show you, and they are sacrificing. See, in Abraham, he received Isaac back from the dead. He was obedient. He didn't question. And the next morning it says he loaded up the donkeys, took the firewood, and he went. And he tied up his son, and he put him on the altar, and he lifted up the knife, and, and an angel of the Lord spoke. You see, because Abraham had leaned in, he had labored and he'd leaned in, and then he had leaned in closer, and he knew the God he served. He was different to the gods of the times who wanted child, children's sacrifices. God abhorred children's sacrifices. So when that word came to him, I believe Abraham would have known in his heart, this is not the God that I serve. You know, he is not one who wants children sacrificed. But he took him and is like, Lord, if this is a test, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to push the envelope as far as you want me to push it. Because he had leaned in and he had learned. See, Jesus, when he was baptized, spent the next 40 days in the desert fasting. He was leaning in closer. 
He knew the Father, and he was maintaining the intimacy. See, Dr. Paul Yonggi Cho, who established the largest church in the world, in Korea, okay, we know of him, not when he was starting his church in the 1950s and early 60s. We got to know him when he was pastoring the largest church, when he was at the pinnacle of his fame, you know, and when he was when everybody was talking about how do we get there? How do we build the largest church? And it's because of his fame, it reaches out to us. And after his reason to fame, we get to know him. But he is quoted in the book, A Keyword of All Ills, as saying, and he recalls this. He recalled his first years of pastoring when he did not go to his apartment for three-year period, during which time he slept, wept, and prayed in his church. Many times he reported my body would be so weakened from fasting that when I stood to preach, blood would seep from my legs and feet and fill my shoes. But he added, I was determined to build the largest church in the world. He was expectant. He had a vision. He was impregnated with the vision that God had given him. And I had counted the cost. You see, when we, when we lean in closer, we hear the deepest secrets. As Adam mentioned last week, the week before, we know the T's and C's. We know the terms and conditions. We lean in closer to read the fine print. See, Pastor David asked us last week, how do you see yourself? You see, I began to live my life declaring that I am the disciple that Jesus loves. It sounds um, presumptuous, doesn't it? That's like, I mean... I was like, John did it. I was like, he was one of the 12, but he declared. And then he wrote a book. And in the book, he referred to himself as, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. I was like, okay, okay. Right, that Jesus loves. You know what? You are the disciple that Jesus loves. Would you dare be presumptuous enough to declare it? And if anybody is like, we used to have a big joke at, at the school up here about, you know, sometimes I'd ask like, and, and I'd be like, Oh, yeah, that's going to happen to me. It's like, why? It's like, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. I expect favor wherever I go. Why? Because I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. I expect to walk in favor because the scripture tells me that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Right? Yes, because I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. Are you the disciple that Jesus loves? How do you see yourself? Do you expect favor to follow you all the days of your life? Some of you are like, I don't know, Jonathan, that's just being, are you doing prosperity preaching? No, I'm just talking scripture. You know, I think Deuteronomy chapter um, 1 verse 11 or chapter 11 verse 1, it talks about, you know, um, the favor and blessing of God will chase you down. It will chase you down. God himself said, I've placed blessings and curses upon you before you. Choose blessings, right? I'm going to choose blessings like favor God. Come on. Open this door, God. Come on. Yes. Lord, so that your name may be glorified. Remember, when you are blessed and when things happen in your life, who gets the glory? Yes, so that the Son may be glorified in the Father. When miracles happen in your life, who gets the glory? Jesus, the Son may be glorified in the Father because of the stuff that's happening in your life. Right? Yes, everybody wants to follow a poor Christian, right? No? Right? Everybody wants to follow a sick Christian, right? Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, I want to serve your God. Yeah? It, it's confronting, isn't it? It's confronting. And it's like, I tell you what, I mean, it's confronting for me because... Um, there was a season in my life when I was, 
a poor Christian. And I grew up in a church where they, they, they talk like this, you know, that you should not pursue wealth. You should not pursue, you know, and then they take an offering collection, and it takes 20 years to build a church building. Because, you know, our building fund is growing by two cents every year kind of thing. I was like, but imagine if we had somebody who was like a businessman and he was pursuing the, um, the things of the world so that he could build the kingdom of God, you know? One love offering, boom. He went to the conference last year, not, not this, um, to, the, to, the, to the state conference last year, and they, took a, and they had a need in another country. I can't tell you the name of the country because of security reasons. But they needed, these missionaries needed um, to, to buy a building, to rent a building, to start a, to, to start a, uh, a project. And the challenge was given to the, every person attending the conference and said, we were going to take an offering right now, and we're going to send this offering for the missions field. All right? One offering. So we went to conference in October this year, and they showed us the building that they bought in the one missions collection. Amen? One missions collection. See, when you have the heart to be a blessing into such a capacity in the kingdom, right, then you will desire to expand your capacity right now. You getting what I'm saying? See, like, there's a reason why God puts you in Australia and not in, I don't know, Fiji, all right? Because Australia has a capacity of wealth. It's a blessed nation. There is wealth here. And I think you've been put in such a time as this and placed in such a place as this so that you can expand your capacity to be a blessing in other places. You know, people in Australia, I, I was like, and, and if the Lord has called you, please, by all means, do this. I'm, disclaimer, this is just me, all right? Um, people in Australia, it's like they pick up, and I'm, God's calling me to be a missionary in India. I'm going to go live amongst the people, all right, and I'm going to serve. And so they go around, and they get people to support them. I'm like, mate, stop. Think for a moment. Stay in Australia. Get an amazing job. Earn the $100,000 or $150,000 or $200,000. Go, go to the mines. God has called you to serve the people in India. Go and work in the mines. All right? It takes 40 bucks a week to support a pastor full-time and his family. 40 bucks. Okay? To support a pastor in India who knows the language, who knows the culture, who knows the people. To support him and his family for a week, 40 bucks. All right? You go work in the mines. You go... Do the job that God has called you to do here, all right? And you decide, I'm going to give $1,000 a week. I'm going to sacrifice 50% of my salary, and I'm going to support. How many pastors can you support suddenly? $1,000 at 40 bucks a week. Somebody do the math for me. 50? You've multiplied your effect 50 times. You yourself in India sharing the gospel... You yourself in Australia doing the job that God's called you to do and because you've got a vision for the kingdom, you're going to earn the money that God's called you to earn. You've multiplied your influence. Now there's 50 of you full-time sharing the gospel in India. Isn't that kingdom thinking? Are you excited? What has God planted in your heart? What is the vision that God's calling you to do? Do you love business? Do you love agriculture? Do you love carpentry? Do it well. Do it well. You know, I come from um, the slums, all right? And I now have two homes in Australia. One's an investment property. And not because I want to have an investment property, so that I can give more to the work that God's doing. My desire is to plant, to, to, to sponsor a well 
in, in southern Sudan. You know, so that women in southern Sudan wouldn't have to walk eight hours to go get a tub of water. They have to walk like six hours and then walk six hours back, right, for, to carry water. But I mean, if you had $15,000 Australian, right, you can plant a well in that village. And all the women will no longer have to go to the pump like, or, or a lake which is filled with uh, dirty water and disease. 15 grand. Come on, 15 grand. It's chum chain in Australia, mate. You know? That's like a, a boat, you know, that literally spin around in on Lake Icham, or like a speedo. And an entire village transformed. Imagine. Imagine. Are you getting excited? What is God planting in your heart? What is the expectation? You know? Um, are you the disciple that Jesus loves? Are you the one whom God is calling you to, come on, do something remarkable for the kingdom? You know? That, you know, people will not remember you now, but like, you know, when they'll read about you later in the books of history, you know, they won't know that, you know, it was you who, who labored, who did the two shifts, you know, to get the money to pay for the, the pastors in India, who who did the two shifts or the three shifts and worked the late hours, you know, um, to put wells in villages in Africa, you know, to, to, to put a, sh uh, a home in an orphanage because you worked on the farm 12-hour days. They, they, they won't know that. But your Heavenly Father will. Your Heavenly Father will. What is he calling you to? What are you pregnant with? See, Pastor Bill Johnson, I remember him very clearly in one time he was talking about it. People come to him and said, and this one guy comes to him and says, I was like, could you bless me with a double portion of your anointing? And he said, this is not a magic trick. You know, it's like I've labored before God. I have leaned in and I have leaned in closer to be anointed of God. And you want to just come in and I lay my hands and then you've got it? Lean in. Lean in closer. Lean in closer. You know, Adam said something and it resonated with me and it said, like, you know, some, we are so content. We are so content. Are you content with the presence of God in your life, the level of presence of God in your life at the moment? And if we are, my question is why? Why are we content? I mean, like I ask, this is me asking myself this question. Why am I so content with the level of God's presence in my life right now? It's like, we have people who are sick in this church. We have people who are struggling with things in this church, and the power of God is absent. Then why are we content? Why does Joel have to ask for people to come for prayer at 8.30 in the morning and there's three people? Why are we content? You know, and what is, what is it that God's impregnating us with? Please don't, don't take this as um, condemnation because there is no condemnation in us, right? Because we are in Christ Jesus. But I really want us to challenge our thinking into like what is keeping us so busy that we have no time to build the kingdom? Yeah? That we have no time to think kingdom-mindedly. See, Jesus speaking to his close disciples says, this is in um, John chapter 14, verse 19 and 21. And this is the Amplified Version. He says, After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. The person who has my commandments and keeps them as the one who really loves me, and whoever really loves me, 
will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and will show or reveal or manifest myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. See, this morning, I really want us to, if you want to maintain the promise that God has given you, if you really want to maintain the desire that God's placed in your heart, you need to lean in closer. You need to pray. We need to pray. We need to worship more, more and more each day. Tomorrow more than today. We need to maintain our expectations because what we water and give attention to grows. We need to water our expectations. We need to give attention to what God has planted in our hearts. See, there's a law of the pot plant. The law of the pot plant says, what you give attention to grows. You know, somebody said, I've got so much to do today. I need to pray longer. Is that our cry? Or is it like, I've got so much to do today, Lord. We just jump out of bed and we are in the shower. We put our clothes on and we are out the door. Just there's so much to be done. John Wesley said, we can do more in one hour in the spiritual realm than we can do in a year in the physical. If you've got a lot to do, spend more time before God. And then we'll see the kingdom come. Come on. And we will see those expectations that you've been caring for years. The expectations that you have for your house, for your health, for your child, for your children, for your parents will come to pass. We need to labor before God. We need to pray before God. We need to seek his face more and more. You have time. I know I have time. Because you know what? My phone keeps reminding me that my screen time was 46% up from the previous week. If you check your screen time, how is, how's your screen time doing? You know? You've got 46 more percent time that you can use and seek God. Yes, I've got 46% more time in my day you know, if we seek God. So I want to really invite and encourage you this morning. What is God planting in your heart? Take on the challenge. Water the seed that's in your heart. Ask God for favor in your business. Are you praying for favor in your business? Are you praying for more customers? Are you standing on the threshold of a new beginning and it's like, Lord, come on. I am ready for your kingdom come. I am ready for your will to be done. Whom shall I send? Me, Lord. Choose me. Would you be that one? Choose me, Lord. Send me. You know, if you're in the, in the Vintage Collective, I really want to challenge the Vintage Collective today. And um, I really want to invite you into this space of intercession. You know, um, that see God, that God would use the people in this house and that God would anoint the people in this house, you know, to do mighty exploits for his kingdom, so that the Son may be glorified in the Father. Are you with me? You know, have your coffee times, and you know, when you, as you're sitting to having coffee, break into tongues and worship, you know, and just pray, you know, when you're sitting at home on your rocking chair, just pray, you know, when you're driving in the car, pray, and it's like, I, I don't envy you, but I do envy you, because you have time, and not burdened with the busyness of life that most of us are like, you know, eight to ten hours at work, doing what we need to do. You can be the, the prayer warriors for us, you know, lifting us up in prayer so that we may stand on your shoulders 
and did pray God and do mighty exploits for God. Would you pray? If you're a teenager and if you've got time on your house, just get off your devices for like 20 minutes a day. You know, instead of watching that one last YouTube video, pray. Pray. You've got time. You know, before you get into the workforce, you've got time. Pray. Father, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we thank you that your heart is for us to seek your face, that we come before you, humble ourselves, Father God, that we may then see our land healed, Father God. Lord, that we may see breakthroughs and your name being glorified. Father, we thank you for the promises that you've given us to hold on for our families, for ourselves, Lord God. We thank you for the promises you've given us for the nation and for the world as a whole, Lord God. And this morning, I pray, Father God, that as we've heard this word, we'd be challenged. We'd be challenged to movement, Father God. We'd not just be challenged and stay, but we'd be challenged to move, Father God, to do the things that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen.